Hey, Stu. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to have you back. Uh, it's good to be back. Do you ever listen to the podcast? Uh, oh, shoot. What is it with uh, the three guys? Oh, I think you're thinking of Smartless, maybe? Yeah, Smartless. I love that. I, I've checked it out a few times. I mean, those, you know. They're just so funny, and I love funny to together. hear. Yeah. yeah, they're funny together. I love their friendship, you know? Yeah. It's I wish I loved our friendship. I know. It you would know? be much it would better. Be, it, it would, would be, be a better show. It would be. Imagine how it good would, it would be right. if we liked each other. I should fire you and get somebody I like. That's a great idea. It's you should great, do that immediately. Great idea. I am on board. But there's nobody who li- really that I like or likes me. Or will come in. Right. And I, and I you know, so, it's hey, my first day of the week, and I'm, it's still better than most other people. You are, you're getting what you get, okay? <laughs> and welcome to that podcast. Today's a, a great podcast. You don't want to miss a second of it. Um, tonight, uh, at 9 o'clock, I'm giving you some information on COVID. We have not talked about the new information. Uh, all of the new um, documents and all of the, oh, that's not true, that is now true. Tonight, you're going to understand where we're headed in medicine, unlike ever before. It's an amazing show tonight at 9 on Blaze TV. Today's podcast brought to you by Home Title Lock. Most people have no idea there's an invisible gap in their home's protection. Your home, your equity, it's all at risk. And the invisible threat is house stealing. And according to the FBI, and I'm quoting, con artists pick a house. It can be a vacation home, rental property, the home somebody's living in right now. They transfer the deed of the house into their name by obtaining forms using fake IDs and filing the paperwork with the proper authorities. It's really simple. They then own the home. Once they do that, they take out all kinds of loans using the, quote, paid for home as collateral. They can even sell your home right out from underneath you. And it's not something that can happen. This is something that does happen all the t- all the time. Protect your home from this invisible gap. Check on your home's title right now at HomeTitleLock.com. Make sure you use the promo code BECK. They're going to send you a complete scan of your home's title. Your first 30 days of uh, triple lock title protection is free. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, promo code BECK. HomeTitleLock.com, promo code BECK. Here's a podcast. Stu, nice to have you here. Thanks, Glenn. Glad to be back. How the surgery go? Your voice sounds the same, but you're yeah. Yeah, I think you look nice in the dress. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, I picked this one out special for the first day. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, we look like it looks like we might have a new uh, a new speaker today. Yeah, Uh, Mike. Johnson? Mike Johnson. Now, of course, I want you to know, as a person who obviously covers this stuff for a living, I had spent a lot of time thinking of Mike Johnson before yesterday. Right. And I want right. you to know. Didn't we all? Oh, yeah. Uh, this mm-hmm. is the this is either the guy or not the guy. One of the two. Right. And I, it depends <laughs> on your perspective. But what does your one. research tell you about Mike well, Johnson? my deep research on Mike Johnson mm. tells me I'm a lot about him. A and lot about him. That's what you get from deep research. Okay, you know, good. That's why we do it. It's that's why we're right. so dedicated now, every day. Now, some would say that you're, uh, you're stalling here because you have nothing on Mike Johnson. Uh, <laughs> very little, honestly. Very little. Like he's a social conservative. He's known as a social conservative. His yes. voting record is okay it's it's not a you know it's not jim jordan 
It's, but it's also uh, not Mitt Romney. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he is in a very heavily Trump district, a very re- red district, um, which would indicate you want someone there with a very strong voting record. Right. For that district, I would say his voting record is mediocre. But it's for the country as a whole, it's pretty good. So Mike Johnson is now the nominee. He's the guy who said we should not go back out on the floor until we know we have a speaker. Can we not just Uh, keep throwing people out and then being humiliated, humiliating ourselves? So they adopted that. um, And then last night uh, they did several uh, roll calls. And uh, we don't know. Well, we do know. We don't know if he's going to get 217 on the floor. We do know that um, he got 201 in a roll call. Now, that's the highest that they had had, 201. They had three present votes and 19 absent. But the 19 that are absent, they feel comfortable they could get 217 today. So they're going to vote today at noon at least that's what they say right now that's what they say now we will see if that happens or not and they might i mean maybe they look they are getting more and more frustrated with this process right they get to that point where the the more and more annoyed they get at going through this and and they i think they feel embarrassed i don't know that that's the right emotion or feeling for this you know so what if your vote fails i don't know why everyone why do you get embarrassed if your vote fails just move on you just look like you're just a bunch of just do is, it. I, I, but this is the media framing of it. It bothers me a little bit. It's like they have a four-seat majority. It's hard. You know? I mean, like, it's not easy to get 217 votes when you have 221 to play with. Like, it's, it's difficult. I'm sorry. People have different opinions. This is a... Like, they act as if it's like everyone's just falling on their face. It's like, you know, Gerald Ford in the Saturday Night Live skits over and over again, falling into his Christmas tree. It's like, this is a difficult process. What is, what made this, which is kind of embarrassing part of it, is they threw the guy out beforehand and created all this on their own. They knew this chaos would be on the other side. Right. And they did it anyway. Right. But, I mean, at the end of the day... If the Democrats, you know, the Democrats seem to stick together no matter what. But if they had a four-seat majority, it would be hard for them to pick a, a speaker, too, if, especially if one didn't previously exist, like Nancy Pelosi, right? If they had to come up with some new person, it would probably be difficult. It'd probably be Karl Marx, but that's just a different... <laughs> he is, unfortunately, not available at the yeah, moment. Yeah, he's, he's not at the moment. At the moment. Not at the moment. So, uh, in uh, George Washington University, George Washington University, several Palestinian messages pro-Palestinian messages were projected onto the university building uh, by students from the university. Now, let me ask you, what's a pro-Palestinian message, Stu? Um, Stop the bombing. Okay. Okay. It may need to be more specific. The The bombings at least started by Israel. You need a long disclaimer on each one of these things, but like something like, you know, Peace deal now. Cease fire now. Right? Like, how about this one? Is this pro-Palestinian? Sure. Glory to our martyrs. <laughs> See, no, that, I would that say seems a little uh, less pro-Palestinian. More, let's kill all the Jews. Yes, pro yes. Hamas. Yes, pro, pro yes. Uh, Israeli genocide. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Free Palestine from the river to the sea, which is also 
very clean all the Jews out. Thinly veiled anti-Semitic. Yeah. I mean, you know, because if there's you know, the river to the sea, there's where do the Jews they, live? They That's live kind between of the, the river and the sea, oh, there, okay. generally yeah, speaking. Yeah. Uh, divestment from Zionist genocide now. This is what is hmm. this is what is happening now all over our campus. This this is uh, sh- should be really disturbing. Um, you had uh, a pro-Palestinian demonstrator, uh, or in fact, several of them, take and beat a pro-Israel activist who was helping an old man. Charlie Kirk, this according to Charlie Kirk. Turning Point USA, he identified the man in the video as Peter Christos, who was attending the rally along with another activist from the organization. Christos, Kirk wrote on X, was violently attacked while he and another TPUSA staffer were trying to escort an elderly Jewish couple away from a pro-Israel rally. On the way to their cars, they encountered pro-Hamas supporters who assaulted them, punched them repeatedly, and hit them with a flagpole before cops could pull them away to safety. They're not the only one who has posted about this. It was one of several disturbances which took place outside the Lincolnwood Town Center, where the Simon Wiesenthal Center was hosting a Stand with Israel event. About 200 pro-Palestinian counter-protesters came to picket the event. Police say at one point members of the crowd confronted an individual who then brandished a handgun and shot one warning shot in the air. That individual was taken into custody. A participant in the pro-Palestinian protest was also taken into custody for assaulting two people with pepper spray. Pepper spray. Uh, Pro-Hamas protesters also chanted at a Boston rally, biggest threat in the world today, Israel and USA. Is anybody sensing a problem here? Anyone? Anyone? Does anyone see a problem? Because I'm starting to. Now, polls will tell us, according to a new Harvard-Harris poll, only the police and military are more respected than Israel. That's an amazing thing. Except Palestinian Authority gets 17% support and Hamas has 14% positive rating, which is to say... 14% of our American neighbors have taken the side of a medieval religious cult that's vicious enough to cut Jewish babies out of their mothers before beheading them. I'm just saying. I'm a little uncomfortable with 14%. If if I said to you 14% of this population were supporters of Nazis, would that concern you at all? I mean, 14 people rally in some city. We hear about it for two weeks. Correct. This is 14%. If 14% of, the, of your neighborhood was all in with ISIS or Al-Qaeda or the Nazis, would you be concerned? Why are we not concerned? The other side of this and this is a great point made by David Harsani from The Federalist. Many of those who claim to be supporters of the Jewish state are not. 
the Barack Obama types who do the perfunctory throat clearing about Israel's right to exist before going into the usual reasons it should not. This faction, let's be generous and call them both siders, is a growing concern in the Democratic Party and on the on the fringes of the right. According to a Harvard poll cross tab, 36 percent of liberal of all ages agreed that the Hamas attack on civilians was justified. Liberals, 36 percent say what Hamas did was justified. Mm. How do you ever justify the killing of children and women and fathers in their homes? Just coming in and shooting all of it. Can you imagine if Israel would walk across the border and just go into homes and just start shooting people without war? That's that's murder. That's yeah. mass murder. I mean, what is the most justified war of all time? I don't know, World War Two. If our soldiers go in and they start raping people, it's not justified. Even in the middle of World War Two, if they start decapitating babies, still not justified. It doesn't matter what the cause is. There's no cause great enough to justify rape and decapitation and the murdering and kidnapping of grandmothers. That's not, there's no justification for that. We all know war is terrible and terrible things happen in war. But when we catch our soldiers doing things, I mean, remember the controversy we had in this country over um, the naked pyramids of uh, in Abu Ghraib? Back in the day, we were mm-hmm. like, oh, gosh, they're embarrassing these prisoners. That was that was a controversy that we were embarrassing them. That was a big thing. Remember the waterboarding of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed? How much, we spent hours and hours and hours talking about that. Was that right? Was that justified? This is literal murder of innocent children for no reason other than to terrorize the community. That's never justified. I don't care what they've done to you. That's never justified. Well, according to the new Harvard poll, a majority of 18 to 24-year-olds believe the killing of more than 1,200 Israeli and American civilians is justified. Nearly half of those 25 to 35 here in America believe it was justified. So you can go in and kill a family. Also, we probably shouldn't mention this because we're not supposed to, but you know what? I want to give you all of the information you could possibly need so you know what the truth is while we have the ability to tell you the truth. A a majority of American Muslims agree that Hamas was justified on its attack. Wow. Wow. This seems to me to be a real problem. Are we going to step up and do anything about it? Why is it that our president is now preaching to Israel about how they should respond? Why is our president now trying to hold Israel back? He gave a lot of lip service. To Israel saying, you know, they have a right to attack. They have a right to respond. But now they're holding the whole world is holding them back. If we can't as a people say, you know, there's a real problem here with beheading children, you know, going in and just shooting innocent families. If we as a people cannot say that, what kind of world 
are we building? I will tell you, we are building a world that aborts babies, that kills children in hospitals if they're born defective or they have no, no real quality of life. We will round people up and gas them. We are creating the world the Nazis wanted to create. And with our technology, God help us. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. Carol Roth, the, uh, the author of You Will Own Nothing, and former investment banker. Carol, how are you? Always a good day when I'm with you, Glenn. Yeah. And I have to say, I want to say congratulations on the, uh, the new uh, information out, the relaunch of The Blaze, the thank beautiful you. new look of the website. It's very exciting stuff. Very, very excited for everybody. Thank you. Isn't it? It's a little disorienting to go to a website with no ads on it. I, I mean, Lovely. at least it was for me. It's really nice. But I kept expecting all of these ads and I would look at something and be like, oh, no, that's just more information. It's really it's quite nice. Um, thank you for that. So, um, Carol, let's start with the monthly budget review. I don't even know what we're spending this money on, but we are spending money hand over fist and. uh I know we're going to pay for it eventually. Uh, tell me the latest. So the latest is everybody heard that for the end of fiscal year 2023, that there was a $1.7 trillion deficit. And Glenn, that sounds horrendous. You know, we're not uh, technically in the middle of a war, although we're on the fringe of, of several, but we haven't lost one. Uh, we have an economy that is technically expanding. We're no longer in a quote unquote emergency. How could we spend $1.7 trillion? Well, I have some news from you. It wasn't $1.7 trillion. It was actually $2 trillion. So I went to the Congressional Budget Report, and since I'm a nerd like I am, I decided to read it. And there was some footnotes that were buried and information that was buried underneath the headline. And one of the things that I found was a little bit of, I'll call it accounting trickery, but it, it's not really accounting trickery on the CBO's part. They were doing the, the standards that they follow. But what was communicated to the public and what was happening at the federal level was trickery. So go back to fiscal year 2022, and you remember that President Biden wanted to do this illegal cancellation of student debt. Right. So for last year's deficit, they put in over $300 billion. That was the best way I can explain it that I've sort of understood. It is almost like a, a reserve or a, a write down, basically saying we're not going to get this money. And so this is an expense. And so fiscal year 2022's deficit actually was was much larger what they portrayed than it was because of this accounting reserve that they put in there. Once the Supreme Court struck that down this year, they had to undo that. And it's not perfectly dollar for dollar because they figured out some way to save something along the way. But net net, that means that basically they took off this reserve of over $300 billion, which means the actual amount of spe deficit spending that we need to finance is more than $2 trillion. And again, that's not what's being communicated to the public. You know, you might say $1.7 trillion, $2 trillion, what does it matter at this point? But at this point, especially 
when rates are what they are and we have to finance every one of those extra dollars, it just means more potential financial damage to this country. So um, I, I was having a conversation with somebody and they say, Glenn, um, the Fed isn't buying all of our our notes now. <laughs> and I said, I'm pretty sure they are. Maybe Japan, because there's some weird deal with Japan. But I'm pretty sure no one's buying it except the Federal Reserve. Am I right? So this is a very sort of complicated issue. If you go back in history and you go back to you know, before the Great Recession financial crisis, um, the deficits that we financed, that was basically done by foreign entities, whether it was foreign central banks or other foreign investment entities, as right. well as, as other investors. When you get to the period between like 2008 and 2014, um, they sort of said, well, you know, maybe the U.S. isn't as tight as it was before. We have a, a, our own financial crises. We don't have the wherewithal to do this. And so it was only financed in part. And that's when the Fed um, enacted this QE program, this bond buying program, and started adding assets to their balance sheet. So they started buying then. And then after 2014, there was basically on net no foreign central bank buyers because you had a lot of the central banks around the world actually um, lessening their, their reserves and they just didn't have the, the wherewithal. So the Fed was. Now we're at a point um, where it's very questionable because the Fed theoretically is letting uh, assets roll off its balance sheet. And it also, um, you know, we don't have uh, entities around the world. We don't have banks and insurance companies that have the wherewithal because they've gotten trouble with all of this long-term underperforming debt. So they don't have the wherewithal to be out and be buyers. Uh, we do have higher rates, so or higher yields, so that has enticed some folks. But obviously, we know that bonds and yields trade in the inverse. So that means that there is more supply than there is demand, and that's why the yields keep going up. So the Fed is definitely doing things in the market, which a lot of us um, argue whether or not that's really QE, where they're doing things to maintain the liquidity in the market. But long term, this does become the question as as we continue to run these massive deficits and there isn't the appetite from other central banks to buy our debt. And we know that there's a whole slew of you know big central banks and big countries that are actually trying to do the opposite. They're trying to put pressure on the U.S. Who is going to be there to purchase this debt? And the answer long term is it's going to have to be the Fed. And what's going to happen, but basically the way this is going to come about is that you're not going to have enough buyers. You're going to see the, the yields go up. It's going to create a crisis in the market. And the Fed's going to be left with some one of two choices. The QE that we talked about, the bond buying and a QE program is we're going to buy X dollars worth of bonds in order to get things down, or something which Japan has done called yield curve control, where they say, well, we want to target this specific interest rate, and we'll just buy as many bonds as it takes right. in order to keep it at that level. And so that is the trajectory we are on with the amount of deficits we have, with the debt we have, with the interest that we have. There are only so many things. I mean, math's math. There's only so many taxes that we can levy. 
They're not going to cut back services. We've, we've, we've seen that already. And so the only other option is debt financing. When there's nobody there to finance the debt, it ends up coming with from the Fed and it ends up devaluing your dollars and we get inflation. And this is what people don't understand. People are decoupled from reality. Math is math. There are only so many options they have. And at every single turn, this ends up hurting the American people. So when we see people pushing back and saying, oh, you know, I earned my social security, they can't take it away from me. I completely understand that, but they've lied to you. So they're either taking it from you there, they're taking it from you in terms of your purchasing power, or they're taking it from you in terms of your taxes, those are their options. That's the range of options they have. Is it? Is it? I saw a story yesterday, maybe, that uh, the first transaction with uh, the Chinese yuan across uh, states uh, has happened, and that the Chinese are dumping our uh, our treasuries and buying gold. Is that yes. true? It is, um, and that that's the central banks that have been lightening up on treasuries, um, whether because you know they are trying to defend their own currencies or they're trying to raise dollars to buy commodities that are priced in dollars like oil or food. Um, you know that's been going on, and what they have been doing is they have been deciding, hey, if I need dollars, I'm going to sell treasuries, not sell my gold supply, mm-hmm. uh, and so you know. Net net, we've actually seen many of these central banks be massive buyers of gold. So it's going to say, hey, if I need to raise money, I have these different options. I'm holding the gold. I think that's a better option mm-hmm. than having these dollar-denominated securities, which again is a signal a in terms of trust of the dollar and b in terms of the global financial order and this massive desire to say we see weakness, we smell it, we taste it. This is an opportunity for us. To to knock the United States on its behind. And so they are going to take that opportunity to the the ability that they can. Now, the one weird thing here that I'm going to put out for everyone, and this is going to sound backwards based on everything that we discussed, is that given times of turbulence, the treasury market, the U.S. dollar being this huge liquid, you know, well, generally well-functioning market has always been the flight to safety. When we saw Israel versus Hamas, uh, you know, Hamas attacks Israel, the first thing that happened is that bond yields went down because people were buying treasury bonds. But that only lasted about six days. Mm-hmm. And then we had a reversal. And now we're headed back. Um, this morning, I, I was checking, I think we're at like 4.9 plus percent on the yield headed for that, you know, 5% mark, which is you know, the, a, a really um, key resistance level. And so, but what could happen, and we saw Bill Ackman, one of the big hedge fund managers, cover his trade in, in treasuries. And he said, you know, if things really were to accelerate, people actually could end up going and buying treasuries as a flight to safety. So that's what we're trying to get through now. Is the treasury going to remain a flight to safety asset or is it being replaced you know, in full by gold? We, we saw at least in this sort of temporary period that you know, it was only a very short time people went to bonds and then they started buying gold again. And you know, certainly I think that gold's going to play a massive role going forward. But what does that mean for the treasury market? And again, 
what does that mean for you is that the if there aren't people to buy those treasury bonds, the yields go up, everything becomes more expensive. The cost of capital for businesses become more expensive. That ends up you know, slowing down our economy, has all sorts of implications. So that is not a good outcome for any of us here in the United States. All right. Okay. So we have five or six minutes here. Let's just talk about uh, the second largest economy in South America. That always seems to get on its feet and then they destroy it. And then it gets on its feet and then they destroy it. And it's destroyed every time by the same thing. Marxism. Yeah, so you're talking about Argentina. And what we have to understand about Argentina is that it's this kind of weird anomaly. Um, There's a famous economist that said there are basically four different types of economies in the world. There are those that are developed. There are those that are emerging. There's Japan and there's Argentina. (laughs) So this is a country that, you know, went from being really wealthy. I think they were like the 10th wealthiest in the world uh, around 1900. They have, you know, a really great um, amount of soil, a very fertile soil for agriculture and things were booming and then they just created this massive welfare state and they have been in this spiral that they cannot get out of uh, where they just continue to spend they get bailouts they've got something like i'm not even joking it's like two dozen almost two dozen bailouts from the imf and it just goes to show you that throwing money at problems doesn't fix the problems. You have to go in and, and actually surgically address the, the issues, which are things over the course of history, but certainly in recent years, like massive corruption, like this overspending. Um, and they have just been in this, this cycle that they can't get out of. So as you mentioned before the break, this is a country that has, I think at this point, it's up to 140% a year inflation. Jeez. Now, funny enough, This is not hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is 50% a month or about 1,000% a year. This is, I may teach people a new word today, this is called galloping inflation. It's the stage right before hyperinflation. So if you didn't know it, about 20% to, you know, multiple hundreds percent a year is galloping inflation. So they have galloping inflation. And this is just crushing people. You know, they get their pay. If they're getting it in pesos, they're turning it into dollars immediately because they know that as soon as they have the peso and they go to the store, that it's not going to buy the same amount as it did before. And this creates this massive crisis of confidence. It creates a lot of demand for dollars. So it's a very highly dollarized society. In fact, a lot of the um, premier workers are are actually demanding salary or payment for services in dollars because they're looking for something that's stable. But what's happened here, Glenn, is that 40 percent of their population is in poverty. And when Mm. I say poverty, I'm talking real poverty. I'm not talking about iPhones and nice sneakers poverty. I'm talking you cannot eat for days poverty. So you would think that this would be a nation that says, okay, we can't handle this anymore. We want change. And that's why Javier Millet, who is this, you know, crazy libertarian who wants to do massive reforms and shut down the spending. That's one of the reasons he was so popular. He won the open primary. You know, he was off to the races. But when it came down to the vote that we had just a couple of days ago, well, you know, the, the people who were in charge over and over again, they ended up actually coming in in first place. So there's going to be a, a, a runoff here. But what are they doing? The best of the Glenn Beck program. Senator J.D. Vance, welcome to the program, sir. How are you? 
Good, Glenn. How you doing? Very good. Thank you for standing up uh, for this. This is, in my opinion, disgusting what is happening, uh, tying these two things together uh, and the way we are financing Hamas and Iran is really stomach turning. So thank you for standing up. Tell us what you're doing. Yeah, I appreciate it, Glenn. I mean, look, the the problem here is that Joe Biden sees a political opportunity in 1,400 murdered Israelis. Uh, The terrorist attack happened. Of course, it's a very terrible thing. We lost a lot of Americans in that terrorist attack. And in my view, we want to empower the Israelis to do as much as they can to degrade Hamas. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, you have a nonstop Ukraine conflict that is, we've already poured $120 billion into. Joe Biden would like to pour another 60 to $80 billion on top of that. It is, I think, actively contrary to America's interests, to yes. food and fuel prices in the world, to have this war continue. And so Joe Biden has figured out that he can use the Israeli conflict to sell the American people on indefinite war in Ukraine. And in fact, he has delivered a supplemental spending package to the Senate that would do exactly that. Combine Israel and Ukraine. So it makes those of us who are pro-Israel, makes it harder for us to oppose the package. And unfortunately, Glenn, this is the important part. Too many Senate Republicans are going along with it. When you combine these packages, you put pro-Israel conservative senators in a bind because they don't want to send another $60 billion to Ukraine. And Joe Biden is is effectively using dead Israeli children to sell this package to the American people. We need to separate the packages, have a separate debate because they are separate countries that raise separate questions and problems for our country. That is the reasonable thing to do. And we shouldn't be going along with Joe Biden's politicization of the Israel tragedy. But how are you going to do that? I mean, you have people like Lindsey Graham who, you know, thinks this is just gangbuster. This is the greatest because now you can get both. I mean, there are those who honestly, J.D., can you tell me what does victory in Ukraine look like? I can tell you what victory in Israel will look like an end of Hamas, Uh, possibly an end to the nuclear bomb building capability of Iran at the most extreme. What does winning look like in Ukraine? The death or the overthrowing of Putin? Well, we have no idea, Glenn. And this is the problem with the Biden administration's policy is they haven't articulated what are we trying to accomplish in Ukraine? How long is it going to take to accomplish it? And how much money is it going to cost us to do that? The, the answer is, and when you talk to them in private settings, they will tell you, Glenn, they really have no idea how this is going to end. Their hope is that if they kick the can down the road another six months, maybe the Ukrainians make a strategic breakthrough. Maybe the Russians just get tired of fighting. Maybe the tooth fairy intervenes. Something is supposed to happen that makes it possible to bring Russia to the negotiating table. They know there is no victory for Ukraine if you define it as pushing them completely out of the territory that Russia controls. So, so they're just hoping. And I don't think we should be spending $60 billion of American taxpayer money on top of $120 billion we've already spent 
on a hope of Joe Biden and his foreign policy advisors. It's disgraceful, and it's disgraceful that too many Republicans go along with it. I will say, say, um, you know, one one final point here. Obviously, Lindsey and I, Lindsey Graham and I, disagree very stridently on the Ukraine question. But even a lot of my Republican colleagues who are pro sending money to Ukraine, they want to defy the packages because they recognize it's a slap in the face to Israel to tie their fate to the Ukrainian war. Aren't we also tying the border security to the Ukrainian funding? That's exactly right, Glenn. And this is just another example of Joe Biden trying to take things that are politically popular for conservatives, package them together, and then use that to sell the interminable war in Ukraine. Now, by the way, Glenn, if you read the fine print on the alleged border security package, it actually gets much worse. What we're really doing is funding and facilitating Joe Biden's open border. We're sending resources to communities that are housing illegal migrants. We're spending a lot of money to transport migrants from the southern border all across the country. There's nothing in the package for real border security. So it's not just that it's a political ploy by Joe Biden to call something border security so he can support Ukraine. When you read the fine print, it doesn't even accomplish border security. It's really, really atrocious what this guy is trying to do. And look, I expect it, right? I disagree with Joe Biden. I didn't vote for him. I'm not going to vote for him. What is ridiculous is if Republicans go along with it. So the the encouragement I'd make, Glenn, to you, to your audience, because you have a huge audience and and the voters actually have a voice and their representatives Mm. listen to them, call into D.C. and tell them, divide the packages. Do not hold up the border and do not hold up Israel's security on Joe Biden's Ukraine war. I got to push back on this one, and I hope you have a good answer. But uh, I, for one, asked my audience to call and be polite. And they called a couple of weeks ago. uh, And Sean Hannity asked his people and Levin and everybody else. We called the House. And the weasel Republicans actually used that as an excuse to not do what we felt were the right things. They said we, we had these people calling us and, and saying all kinds of things. I can guarantee you that it was only the odd duck in my audience that would have done that. They wouldn't have called them names and, and threatened their family. Maybe that happened, but that is, that is not the American people. That is not the people who support uh, the rule of law and the Constitution. So when you say call the Senate, what is that going to do? Look, Glenn, I understand people have frustrations, but it actually does matter. And here, here's the thing. These guys were going to be weaselly no matter what people did. They were just looking for an excuse to right. not do uh, exactly to not do the right, right thing. Uh, but but I, I guarantee the calls did not hurt Jim Jordan's speaker candidacy. They helped. It's just, unfortunately, the weasels were going to find a way to kill Jim Jordan's speaker candidacy anyways. It really does matter. Trust me, I, I, I sit in these lunches with my colleagues folks I agree with and disagree with, when they have the American people motivated about an issue, it does affect them and it does matter. Uh, we, we unfortunately, and you know, I, I was one of the first people to endorse Jim Jordan's speaker candidacy. Yeah. I actually think we got a very good speaker out of this process, assuming uh, Congressman Johnson gets through this afternoon. Uh, so, so despite the fact that I supported Jim Jordan, it was pretty clear early on that they were never going to let Jim Jordan become the speaker. Correct. Uh, and it had nothing to do with us calling. In fact, I think calling actually did help us a bit. Okay. So 
call all of our Republicans? I mean, how many of the uh, we need all of them and then some Democrats, too, don't we? You know, to divide the packages, to actually force us to have a separate debate, we just need 41 Republicans to stand tall and say, we're not going to do Joe Biden's bidding for him. We're not going to accept this combined package, a $100 million behemoth uh, with, by the way, a lot of open border funding. So, so no, I, I actually think we just need Republicans to stick together. Even if they are pro-Ukraine funding, we need the message to be we're not holding the American southern border and we're not holding Israel's security hostage to the Ukraine war. Yeah. Um, all right. So we don't need all of the Republicans, which helps because uh, you'll yep. never get the Romneys right. of the world. Um, OK, so call your senator. When does this vote go down? Well, look, it, it probably won't go down for a couple of weeks here. So okay. uh, it's, it's unclear when leadership will try to move this package. But right now, the fight is to divide right. it so that we have okay. separate votes. And that's what I'm trying to, to work to, okay. towards right now. So call your senator today. And I know when I ask you that, I know because I would be rolling my eyes. You're in the car and please don't roll your eyes. Keep your eyes on the road. But I would be rolling my eyes as well. I'd be like, oh, really? That's going to help. But we have to do all the things that we can do and then leave the rest of it up to God. Uh, do what you're supposed to do. Do what the system requires. Don't. And I don't have to say this to you, my audience. Don't do anything stupid. Don't make threats. You only hurt our cause. Hello, January 6th. Please don't do any of that. And I don't mean to insult you and your intelligence on this. Um, but please do call your senator and tell them to separate because you're getting a bogus border bill. Yeah, I, something's wrong with the administration in there. How can they be sending money over to um, Israel and then saying, oh, you know, you got to stop. You got to stop. We don't don't do anything yet. There's something wrong uh, with this. I think it's just an act to get the money to Ukraine. And uh, we're headed towards World War Three, and the last thing we should be doing is lumping all of this together. That's exactly right, Glenn. And by the way, if you have Hamas terrorists who are obviously attacking the Israelis but are also planning attacks in the United States of America, how does it make sense to facilitate their migration all across the continental United States? You cannot have real border security if you're paying people to move themselves from the southern border uh, to, to, to all across America. That will facilitate an open border and will actually promote acts of terrorism in our country. I hate to say it, Glenn, because I hate to be alarmist about this stuff. I think we're at the greatest risk of a terrorist attack in this country that we've been in 20 years. I agree. And the reason is Joe Biden has let in a lot of designated terrorists and then paid money to have them flown across the country. We have had, we, we, we know we've caught, I think it's 400 uh, people that are on the, on the watch list or the terrorist list. 400 we've caught. How many have come across that we didn't catch? I mean, we know that there are people that wish us ill that have come into this country and it's only a matter of time. Uh, and when you see the, the, the streets in these Palestinian, uh, you know, marches where they are saying, gas the Jews, gas the Jews, there's only one solution. That's not a group of people, or at least a few of the people that are friendly to our country. Those are people that do really bad things. That's exactly right, Glenn. And, and by the way, uh, a lot of these folks came into the country and feel no gratitude towards it. 
and are not. importing the ethnic and religious hatreds of their own old country into their new one. Uh, this is why we should have, I really believe this, Glenn, we should have actual screening for people, even legal immigrants that come into our country, no. to actually <laughs> confirm that they share some of our values. And that if we bring somebody from Palestine, for example, they're not going to come here and want to kill Jews and Westerners because of something they were taught in their old country. When you become an American, become an American or stay out of the country. Amen. I can't believe that that will probably cause you a headache today because it is absolute common sense. J.D. Vance, thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. Take care. You bet. Senator J.D. Vance, please call your senator. Please call your senator and tell them to separate the bills. No, 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 no.